Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Uh, today we're going to be talking about what DMs get up to in between games. We're talking once again to Isla Collins. How is, how's it going, Isla? It's going very well. It's great to be back. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing all Pretty right. good. Awesome. So, um, what do you get up to in between games? Because it's been a while for me. I'm still running a game. I've got one that's been going on. Like my D&D campaign's been going on for a long time now. Uh, it feels like it's basically my entire DM career is this one campaign. So <laughs> I don't really know what it's like to be in between games. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a surreal feeling, I would say. I'm I'm sort of in between games right now. It was a bit of a weird situation where uh, two members of my group ended up going on vacation for a while, which is awesome. But it meant that we we didn't want to carry on with the campaign we were doing in that time because obviously you know you don't want to don't want to feel like they're getting behind or missing out on story and stuff like that. So yeah, we uh, I really like what we did with it, which was uh, another member of our group decided that she wanted to do like a little. Um, just a two-shot kind of uh, event, and that turned out to be really fun. So, I definitely have some uh, some plotting and planning right now to kind of turn my game into a bit more of a round robin, which I think is a good way to kind of deal with that between games thing, where you don't really kind of want to do too much prep and your brain's kind of tired. But uh, but you do still want to play. So this way, like everyone would kind of get a chance to have a little bit of a, a play with it. But there's no commitment. Have you have either of you actually like finished a campaign and been like having to say to yourself like, OK, well, what do I do now? I want to run another game, but I want to give myself some time off, too. Yeah, I I actually had that situation. God, when was it? maybe end of last year, something like that, um, with the game that I've been running for, I think it was about a year at that point, where it kind of, it felt like the tone didn't really suit the group. And I just, you know, none of us was super, super happy with it. So um, I wanted to wrap it up. And so we, we did actually finish a campaign, which was kind of, again, like super surreal to see like a bunch of your work be completed. Because I feel like the thing with D&D and DMing is like you plan all these things and you do all this like you know prep and and this big story and you never really expect it to get finished. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The camp, the campaign that I'm running right now, like I'm trying to figure out how to streamline things a little bit because I feel like there's so much stuff that I want to do that I have to like really restrain myself from adding it into the campaign because otherwise this campaign will never end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, um, my first campaign, God, I wish I had ended it at like three sessions earlier. Cause it was like a really nice point that would have been nice to kind of leave it. Mm. But uh, the nature of the group I was in at that time was we were a group of like seven people and five people wanted to DM all the time. So if a game ended, <laughs> someone was immediately like, well, I have five ideas and I want to run this time. Oh my God. Um, which meant that it, I never ended up running for that group again. It was like two years afterwards because we were just, you know, a bunch of people at games they wanted to run. Wow. That's kind of nice, though, in a way, because I know, like, with my group, uh, we had a conversation, like, we had a really great chat when the game ended, and it was kind of like, okay, well, like, where do we want to go from here? What kind of campaign do we want to do? And uh, I came up with um, with some of, some of the guys' help, um, came up with a sheet of questions that was like, you know, what do you want out of the campaign? Here are some like possible options for it uh, you know do you want more role play heavy more um fight heavy that kind of thing um and that was a really great way to kind of get back into it but one of my questions was also like does anyone else want to dm like do you want to take over have some like fun with it and honestly most people were like mm, nah <laughs> not really <laughs> well and it's it's interesting because i i run for a bunch of the same for you and a bunch of the same people uh, that you run for. Yeah. So it was like, I had that similar experience where I was like, well, I finished this three part thing. Does anyone else want to run? And 
Haley said yes, and that's I'm very excited for that game, even though I'm having a really hard time deciding on a character to play. <laughs> but yeah, it was the same thing, and I'm hoping that maybe we can also do that thing where we kind of like people run modules or a couple of modules and then switch off, and like maybe we'll mm-hmm. maybe we'll make new characters at some point or something like that. But like, I like the idea of doing that and having it almost more episodic, so that we can like get everyone to like level 20 or so and like actually get to play those high power characters for a bit but i also think it's cool because the idea of keeping the same characters for a little bit anyway and kind of just having other people dm like little little sessions with that could be kind of fun because then it's like you know you don't feel like you've created this awesome character but then you're not really getting to use them but like you also don't have the pressure of DMing a whole campaign too. Yeah, for sure, actually, and like that's that's the thing that I, I'm going to be see, interested in seeing our group going forward. Like if that's what ends up happening, especially since we play so seldom that it's not like we get like that same really kind of driving character arc that's happening week after week after week. Totally. That we can like step back and be like, okay, yeah, time passes. <laughs> Yeah, and now you're suddenly level 16. <laughs> Something that I'm curious about, what would you guys say the average campaign length of, of all the campaigns that you guys have done is? I mean, that's tough because the the last campaign I did, the one that I completed, that was the first cam- like first full campaign that I've run. So I mean, at that rate, about a year. And that, I mean, that felt like a reasonable amount of time. I had a lot more story that I could have run with, but... Like the, I mean, the prep time for being a DM is is huge, right? It's it's a lot. So um, yeah, yeah. So about a year, and then this one, you know, I made this campaign that we just uh, we started a few months ago, um, much more episodic. Like you were saying, Jesse, kind of that, like so it's a bit more playful and there's a bit less kind of pressure to to be there every single week in case you miss something this way it's like yeah it's fine you know if you miss something you're just gonna miss out on a bit of treasure or whatever but it's not a big deal um how about you guys it's been about my first game was about eight months which was uh, a lot longer than anyone in my group expected i would run (laughs) whereas i was like i will run for years if i can and then i burnt out uh, so that was eight months, and then I didn't really run anything again until this last one that that you're in. So mm. it's you know that, and that was only what four or five sessions, I think. God, was that it? Yeah, I mean, it was over like almost an entire year because of schedules and vacations and yeah. like work and Christmas and all that stuff. Right? We were only playing like the goal is once a month, but we all kind of know that that's not exactly what's going to be happening <laughs> yep <laughs> for me like when i when i started out i started out with the uh the fifth edition beginner's box and i played that mm. with two groups and that took uh, both campaigns actually took pretty much the same amount of time which was interesting which mm. was a couple of months and then one group was some people i worked with and another group was some just some friends of mine and uh what i ended up doing with the work group was uh, I'm like, well, before we decide on just playing, continue playing D and D, I'd like to try some some other systems to see if there's another system that that you guys like playing more. And mm-hmm. so with them, I played uh, Star Wars. We did a, a quick campaign of of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars, the Edge of the Empire. And mm-hmm. um, how, how did that go? That went really well, actually, uh, especially because. I discovered with with Star Wars, and it's the same with the next game that I played with them, Eclipse Phase. The enemies, like the the NPCs, are a lot simpler than D anD. d So uh, when I had to improvise, and with the Star Wars one, I was playing a module, so I didn't have to improvise a ton. But I found that it was a lot easier to improvise because I knew the world super well. Whereas with the D anD. d beginner box, like it's set in a specific uh, world like it has like that's the world of oh uh, that giant city that I can't remember the name of that I completed the Winter Nights yeah like Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate that's the one I was thinking of uh, and like you know the Sword Coast and all this stuff like it's an established setting that I don't know very much about so I felt a lot more comfortable running in Star Wars yeah I can see that and yeah because and because that's always a thing with D and D for me is like you know it's such an an open playful world and you can create it whatever you want but if you're working within someone else's background then you've got to kind of learn the lore and know 
how the history is and all of that stuff, which can be really time consuming. It can be really useful running inside of like an already built setting, but only if you're the type of person who can take all the time for it. Or if you're like me and you find a official setting that is not super developed and that people aren't super familiar with. <laughs> in which case, you're just like, here are these simple like dozen gods, and those are really the only important details you sort of need to know about. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, especially I think if it's a shorter campaign, like if it's something you're planning on running over multiple years, then in that point, like yeah, you know, you want to make sure the lore is in place and people have a good sense of the world that you're rolling around in because you know you want them to have that ownership and that kind of being able to get lost in the role play of it rather than kind of okay sure we know we're only doing this for four, ses- four sessions so we'll just like have fun and and do whatever actually now that i'm thinking about it i'm misremembering um with the work group i actually just played a couple of like i played the, the like the, the edge of the empire had a an introductory campaign thing that like they've they have their own beginner box thing. And I played that and like a free RPG day um, module. So like it's really short and condensed for Eclipse phase and Shadowrun. Cause I wanted to just like mm-hmm. quickly test out a couple of games to see which one we liked. And we really enjoyed Star Wars and, and Eclipse phase, but Shadowrun was, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was just about to say, I have some friends who played Shadowrun for a while and I heard some very mixed things about it, like that it was very kind of real life transactional and like you had to count your money and your food and all of that stuff. That sounds like a, a GM thing. But the thing that got me okay. was that because like, for example, the the modules for like these free RPG day modules and the beginner thing for Star Wars, like the Star Wars one is you start by like the characters bust into a uh, cantina because they're trying to hide and then it's like okay and this is this is how you try to hide and this is what the dice mean and this is how you can deal with them failing to hide and then there's a fight and like they're basically just trying to escape from a, a small town that's on a like a mesa like one of those big stone plateau things uh, they're trying to like you you kind of lead them through that cantina thing and then they go and try to find some stuff to repair a ship and then they tr- go to the ship and then they have to like fend off a bunch of stormtroopers and get the ship fixed and take off. And then there's some ship combat and then it's over. And then you can lead into one of the official modules and it's fairly, you know, straightforward, but you get to do a lot of different stuff. And it's the same thing with eclipse phase. Like you start off on a ship on its way to Mars, I think, and you're trying to hunt down an arms dealer and you get to, you know, learn about a bunch of stuff, how the dice work and all that. And then one of the things I really like is the way that it introduces one of the core concepts of Eclipse Phase is that there's a very good chance in the uh, when you encounter the arms dealer that something goes wrong and your characters die and then wake up in new bodies on Mars. Oh my god, really? Yeah, because one of the things in Eclipse Phase is it's um, it's transhuman future horror. And one of the things with, because it's tra- it's all about transhumanism, like said in the future, is that it's at a point where humanity has developed the technology that you can back up your brain or transmit yourself, you know, with radio waves from, say, Mars to Venus or whatever, and put yourself in a new body. So they introduce that and in the, in the penalties for doing it suddenly if you die. And it's, uh, it's pretty neat. And then you do a bunch of stuff on Mars and then you finish up. The Shadowrun free module, however starts with you go to meet a contact in a bar a bar fight breaks out that's it <laughs> and and good luck from there <laughs> and like we did each of these modules like the star wars one we did in an evening the eclipse phase one we did in an evening like they're not long like you get through them in a single session the shadow run one took us longer to do like we it was still a single session but we were there for like an hour and a half longer than any of the other sessions because of the dice and how you calculate when you attack, how you do damage, how you avoid damage. Like just the system is so crunchy. It's nuts. Yeah, I definitely, I've heard that and that it's kind of overcomplicated and takes a while to learn and not necessarily as intuitive as others. Like, cause I mean, it's, it's always hard to say, right? Like I've been playing D and D for 10 ish years now. So for me, like that's uh, until I think last year was the only RPG I'd played. So it's like, yeah, of course the dice make sense to me. Like they change between each edition, but 
it's essentially the same thing. But then when you get into a different system, it's it can be pretty overwhelming and and uh, unintuitive comparatively. Yeah, and that's well, that's the thing that I noticed about the like the Star Wars game, for example. It's got a couple of different dice, but basically there's a yellow dice, like there's a, a yellow dice, a green dice, and a blue dice, and a purple dice, a black and a red. And basically, like when you're trying to, like if you're trying to attack, like you've got your stats. And the way it works is your stats tell you how many green and yellow you're rolling. And green dice are like, you've got an average chance of doing well. And the yellow dice have uh, the chance for you to do really well, but they also increase your chances of succeeding. And the blue dice are basically like, they're like boost dice. Like they have a couple of blank sides. They're D6s. And you're your skill and your situation. Like if somebody's done something that gives you like they've distracted an enemy or you've taken the time to like aim and really set up a shot, then you might get some blue dice and the DM tells you how many uh, of the purple dice and the like purple dice are basically like how far away you are determines like you might be rolling one or two because you're so far away. And then, the black dice are like setback dice. They're just like the blue ones. They tell you they don't have a ch- chance of you doing really bad, but they just increase the chances of something bad happening. And then the the red dice has a chance of something really bad happening. The way it works is that you take all these dice and you roll them. And then there's like there's three symbols that can show up on the dice and you just you cancel them out and then tally up what you've got. So what's neat is that you might end up succeeding because you've got enough, you know, hits, but something bad happens because the bad dice, uh, you know, had one symbol left over. So you succeed, but something bad happens. So it can be something like, mm. you know, you successfully shoot the stormtrooper and do some damage, but you take some stress because his blaster went off and like singed the side of your head or something. So, and that's kind of that's kind of fun because then it. Uh, kind of dictates the story as well like it's not all on the the dm or the gm to come up with what happens when a success or a failure happens like that's that's kind of entertaining yeah and then then there's like the there's the symbol that's like the critical success basically on the yellow on the yellow dice and the and the red die and what's interesting is that those don't cancel out so like if you get a critical success and a critical failure they don't cancel out so like one of the examples for the critical success is like you, you know, you try to shoot at some stormtroopers. And what's interesting is that the critical success counts as a success and the like critical good thing happens and the success can get canceled out, but the critical good thing still happens. So like you shoot, you shoot at some stormtroopers and you miss, but you hit something behind them and it explodes and like throws them all off their speeders and they're, they're not injured, but you've managed to like, you know, evade them in the middle of a chase or something. So there's what's really nice about that is that it, yeah, you really invites the players to help tell what's going on as well. Like, you know, if they shoot at somebody and miss, but they get a, you know, something good happens, you know, they, they failed to hit, but they got enough good things happen, you know, results Then they can be like, well, I didn't hit them, but maybe this happens or this happens. And as the GM, it like, really opens up the storytelling and it's really nice. Yeah. And I like, I like the idea of kind of, I've always liked this kind of giving your players the agency of telling you what happens. Like, you know, as a GM, you're already doing so much anyway, right? You're doing all the planning, you're telling the story, you're kind of having all those, all the fun as, as it is anyway. So like, it's really great to be in that position of like, okay, so you know that you have a critical success or a critical failure or whatever it is, like, what does that look like? And like, I think giving players that ownership in the story is just, it's such a good way to get people engaged and, and interested in what's happening. Yeah. And really quick, the eclipse phase system is pretty simple. Like you're basically rolling a D 100 and you're playing kind of playing blackjack. You're trying to get under a certain number, but as close to it as possible and doubles are critical success or critical failure, whether depending on whether you succeed or fail. So like those two systems, the dice system is fair fairly intuitive like there's not a lot there like the star wars dice take a you know like half a session to get used to the eclipse phase is 
just like, oh, roll under a certain number. Cool. When you do damage, there's a little bit of like, oh, I roll a d10 and do a little bit of addition because my weapon gives me plus two to damage or whatever. But everything you're doing, you know, trying to hit somebody in combat, trying to evade, trying to, to like talk to somebody and, and like deceive them or intimidate them or whatever it is you're trying to doing, it's a d100 and that's it. In Shadowrun, and I've told people that it, uh, people have told me that it gets easier to understand, but it's like it's a whole bunch of d6s, and you're trying to roll a certain number of successes, and then like fives or sixes, and then a bunch of extra stuff happens. And and for me with Shadowrun, it wasn't so much like, yeah, okay, I get this dice pool idea. I've seen this in other games. You just take a bunch of dice, you roll them, you're trying to get fives or sixes. It's kind of like playing Warhammer. But it's what comes after that, like how many successes you get can impact, you know, how much damage you do, which there was so much to keep in our heads that we had to like keep going back to this free RPG day book that it just took forever. And it kind of shows in the like what you do in each of them, because like the Star Wars beginner adventure takes you through a whole bunch of stuff. Like you get to have like, you know, an afternoons, like your characters are going through like an afternoon's worth of adventure from when they step into the cantina to when they escape on the ship. And in eclipse phase, your characters do a whole bunch of stuff. They they're on a ship and they have to track somebody down and then either they, they might escape or they might die, but then they're on Mars and they do a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) But with shadow run, like their introduction to this, to the game is, you're in a bar and you meet with somebody and then a fight happens and that's it. And it kind of shows like even like the designers of the game know that just getting the mechanics of fighting is going to take you an entire session. I mean, I've got to assume that eventually Shadowrun becomes incredibly fun. Like I can't imagine that the game designers came up with a game that was so obtuse and difficult to learn and like so many levels and layers to it that it that isn't fun like it has to be right eventually like it has to be super fun (laughs) real quick the setting like i agree like it has to be because like the setting is awesome it's d and like cyberpunk D D basically and like there's so much cool stuff in the world that i've read about and seen and I've heard of people having these like fun, amazing campaigns where all this cool stuff happened. And, you know, I've definitely heard that it's a game where you spend an entire session planning to rob a place. And then the next session you go and rob it and everything goes wrong and you have to throw your plan out. So, but it's still (laughs) super fun to do. And I just playing through that introductory thing. I just, I couldn't find the fun. Yeah. And like, I know my friend who, who jammed a a shadow run game, like, you know, he's, he put so much time and energy into it. So the story was like really interesting and intricate, but like, same thing, like, you know, you spend a whole session planning something and then you don't get to execute it until the next session, which is it's, it's unfathomable to me from playing D and D where it's just like, okay, a thing happens, go fight the thing. (laughs) My understanding of shadow run is that like you essentially have, have to do homework when you start playing it you gotta everybody's gotta read the rules you gotta have a cheat sheet while you're playing you gotta look it up but i think part of the fun comes also from the satisfaction of learning and like keeping all of that stuff in your head yeah i can see that yeah and i, I think also too it, it probably depends on the edition and stuff like that too but it's just it's not a game that would appeal to me because of that yeah. complexity mm-hmm. um but like i i think you know if I think that's it's a subset of what certain people enjoy, like because different people enjoy different rules systems. You see that with the kind of like arguments between D and D and Pathfinder and stuff like that. Yeah, well, even within D and D, you know, people who are like real rule sticklers and like, no, the book says we do it like this, so we have to do it like this. And then people who are like, "Eh, it's a guideline. We'll just, you know, that sounded really cool. I'm gonna let you do it. Just tell me how you do it in a realistic way. <laughs> so yeah, so getting back to the <laughs> the topic of this episode of being in between games with the group at work, I ended up doing Eclipse Phase after we did those three introductory things, and so like I had a, a like a week or so to figure out, you know, okay, how does this game work, and really, and how do we set up characters, and how do I plan out a a campaign? And I found really quickly with that game that I didn't really have to do much planning, especially since because. I've kind of found that with systems, the systems that I've played at least, 
the simpler the mechanics, the crazier things can get. Because <laughs> in Eclipse phase, because it's so easy to understand what you're capable of doing and like your chance of succeeding, like my players kind of, I had three players and each of them tuned themselves for different things. Like one of them was really good with electronics. Another one was really good at talking to people and convincing them to do stuff. And uh, the other one was like had some, like had a, because you actually have stats in Eclipse phase for, like how how well you're able to track people down within various factions and your repu- there's a separate stat for your reputation in each of those factions so sh- this other the third character had like some really good reputation and pretty good skills at finding people so like whenever they ran into a wall it's just like i'm going to talk to my faction and figure out what's going on and it's like yeah you do because you have an 80 you don't have a very small chance of failing so like it turned into this game where like i had to just stop planning you know, two or three sessions ahead because like, for example, in one, in one of the first sessions, two of the characters like cornered an old guy while somebody was getting, while the third character was getting healed a doctor and basically set up a, a like interstellar trading company just on the fly to scam somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of stuff, like I found the same with star Wars when I was running, uh, I ran a module for a different group and it's kind of the same thing The dice let the players do so much that it's hard to plan ahead. So I had to be a lot more improvisational, which worked in Eclipse phase in Star Wars because science fiction and especially like that kind of futuristic transhumanism and Star Wars, them's my jams. So <laughs> I had no problem improvising. But when it came to, to D&D, I found I've gotten better at improvising now that I'm in a I've been running this campaign for two years now it feels like it's been a while but it's a homebrew campaign i know about like i did way too much world building but i've got enough information about this world in my head now that i'm finally at the point after two years that i can improvise the same way i could in eclipse phase or star wars after two sessions wow but i I mean again like i feel like it depends to a point it depends on the group as well right like you've got to there's such a fine balance with any RPG that you play that you need to have that, like the energy of the group to be really on board with that improvising or, you know, that the DM is kind of doing more of a guiding thing. Like everyone's just got to be on the same page about what level of investment and involvement you've got in it. Right. Cause you could have like the most creative improvisational campaign in the world, but if your players are there for the story, then it's not going to happen, right? And and vice versa, right? You could have this amazing story, but your players want to improvise, and then you're just completely screwed. <laughs> well, this is actually a good question then, because I've I've really only played with two groups: um, the group that I was playing with at work, and the group that I the second group that I did the D and D box set with. And some people from each of those groups have merged and become my, <clears throat> and we added two people and have become my. The, the group that I'm doing the this campaign with my homebrew campaign, so I don't have a ton of experience have, like being in between games and having to figure out okay, you know this new group wants to play a game, and I've played with a bunch of these people a bunch of times, so I kind of know what all of them are going to want from a game. Is that something that you guys have like when you guys are about to start up a new game? and you know who's in the group, you kind of know what kind of game is coming so that you can propose stuff in in the session zero or before the game of just like, how do you guys feel about doing this? And you have fairly high confidence that they're going to be like, yep, that sounds good. Well, for me, it's uh, it was a bit tricky because our session zero, we hadn't had one before we started our last campaign. So starting the new campaign, it was the first time we'd done a session zero. And I mean, session zeros are just, magical wonderful things right so it was it was really interesting for me as a dm because you know you can have thoughts about how your players want to play and observations from how you've noticed them playing and all of that kind of stuff but you don't necessarily know until they tell you specifically because they might play a certain way but have a preference for a different thing you know ultimately like obviously ultimately how someone plays is what you have to run on but you know if someone tells you that they you know they just really enjoy like listening to the story and hanging out and like spending time with people and that the the fighting part isn't that like crazy exciting for them like 
the tough part then is kind of fitting fitting everyone's needs together because certainly in my group like when we did our session zero we had so many different responses like you know some folks were really into the fighting side of things and they just wanted to hit stuff and some folks were like no no i just really want to like enjoy a story and so yeah like interweaving those components i mean those components are what D&D is in my mind, but you still have to make sure that everyone's happy and everyone's needs are getting met. And that's, I mean, that's the, the delicate balance, right? I don't know. What's, what's your experience, Jesse? It's interesting, right? Because I'm, I'm running for largely the same, or not largely, but partially the same group as you are. Like, what, we've yeah. got two common players plus you. Totally. And then a few other players. But like, you guys, like your group is really good at just kind of, um, as long as I'm running something that is fun and not like a nightmare and not <laughs> com- containing the things you guys specifically don't want to encounter in a game, you're always pretty much seem to be game for anything, which is nice because I wanted to write, run kind of a, a game that like had stuff going on, but was light and fun. And like you guys agreed more or less to follow the plot, but also just be like, <laughs> sitting there reacting to it and talking and asking questions that I never, never thought would be asked um, <laughs> and all that stuff. And, it, and that's great. But I think like for my previous group, I think that game would have gone very differently. It would have been the darker tones, like kind of undertones of it probably would have taken more precedent. And like, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? You gotta, you gotta know, you gotta know your players. And if you have, if you have a group that wants to have a fun time, you can run something dark, but give them enough space to like have that fun. And it kind of it has a nice synergy that way, I think. Just about to say, there were dark undertones in that story? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, there was that entire village that had been turned into like either murdered or turned into zombies that you guys went yeah. through. Yeah, I guess that I was mean, a thing. <laughs> there was that like chaos god that was trying to break through from another dimension yeah but he was just silly he was very silly he was he was pretty silly <laughs> um but, you, know, you know there were there were stuff like that considering like think about the question the questions you had for thema agarath in the first session which is like oh are you gonna give birth to a bunch of snakes <laughs> and like there there were some darker undertones or like there could have been things that would have been very dark with a different group yeah that like were fun uh, which is good because that's what I wanted too. Uh, but like, I think my other groups, some people would have taken those dark undertones and run with them a bit more. Yeah, and and that's I totally agree. Like, you got to know your group and know, particularly with tone. Like, I think it would just be an unmitigated disaster if you tried to run something for our group that was like you know grim dark and intense and serious and there was no opportunity for anything ridiculous or fun or anything like that and same with my group like that's just not the way we play and honestly that's not the way i dm like i the the world itself is pretty grim dark right now and i just want to roll around in a stupid world and like slash bad guys (laughs) now i am really tempted to see what running warhammer 40k dark heresy would be like for your group Uh, that sounds terrible (laughs) (laughs) just wondering if there's a way that i could take like one of the grimmest darkest settings with one of the most punishing game systems and be like how do we make this fun and airy (laughs) We'd, we'd probably make it work because, you know, Jesse's saying that question about, are you going to give birth to a bunch of snakes? I was like, yeah, no, that was hilarious. <laughs> like, that's just, and it was hilarious. <laughs> that's just a funny question, you know. <laughs> so one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, because when I, when I did the uh, one shots for quick games to try and figure out which game we wanted to play with my, my work group, after each one, like we, we'd have a, not really a session, we'd spend like, a couple of minutes like afterwards just talking about like yeah we like we like this about the game we didn't like this we did like this we didn't like this after shadow run it was oh my god let's all just go home and sleep because we're tired <laughs> um but like after star wars and after eclipse phase like we had some good conversation about like what we liked about the systems and we ended up settling on eclipse phase and we played a uh, a campaign of that that i didn't get to finish that i'm really sad about there was a little bit of discussion after each campaign of just like the system and how we liked it um you guys have ended more campaigns than i have because i haven't really 
ended like properly ended any campaigns um like i've played an eclipse phase thing that just petered out because i moved to another company and mm-hmm. i played a star wars one that petered out because uh two of the people moved away and we just kind of stopped playing but with this D and D campaign that I'm running, I'm kind of hoping at the end I have time to like have a session almost of just like a wrap up session of just like, tell me what you guys liked and all that kind of stuff. What do you guys do when you end a campaign and you want to get feedback around just like the story and how you ran it and how the players felt and all that kind of stuff. Like, how do you guys go about doing that? For me, the, for the first one, it was have my friends comfort me that, yes, you did a good job. It got rough near the end, but you were, <laughs> you know, exhausted and burnt out and like trying to finish college and all this stuff at the same time. And that, yes, it's fine that this happens. <laughs> um, for the newest game, it was, um, we haven't really had to do that because we're we're taking the characters forward, just a different person's running them. So it's just been like, oh, yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, like, I liked this thing. Oh, right. I forgot to tell you this other thing that was import- supposed to be important after note that I forgot to mention, which I think was actually to you, Isla. <laughs> uh, um, but like, so it's been interesting because I haven't really had that like decompression, like post session thing, though I really like that idea. Yeah. And if we were like, if if our group was like done with those characters and we we're going to try and do something else or running a different like type of game, like style of game or like say Monster of the Week or something, I would have probably pushed to have that conversation, even though it mostly was like, you know, over five or however many months and was mostly a like good time. Because, you know, I like to know if I'm doing well. And I, I especially like to know if I've done something that people like specifically didn't like but didn't really want to mention because it wasn't like really a big deal (laughs) yeah i totally get that and i think feedback is feedback's a tough thing when you're a dm because like especially if it's a homebrew campaign like you've poured your your energy and your time into it so it's like i don't really want to hear you say you hated it but at the same time, like, I really do want to know what you think and like what went well, what didn't work for you, like all of that stuff. But it's really it's tough to do that, I think. Like my group, when we finished, it wasn't a clean ending for me. Like it was a bit it felt a bit messy. Like I was I'd got to the point where I was getting a bit burnt out with it. And I was feeling like, you know, when the energy of the group's not really feeling it, like you you get that as a DM, like it's and it makes it tougher to kind of get excited about it yourself so you know i was kind of pleased when that one finished but for us it was kind of the session zero of the next campaign where we kind of talked more about what we wanted and all of those kind of things like it wasn't so much what worked from the last campaign and what didn't it was more okay clearly that one wasn't exactly what we needed so what do we need like what do you want what do you want to see how do you want to play and all of that stuff and and again you know i'm i'm really very much still learning um all of this stuff and i think it's it's a much longer process than a lot of other things like dming is it's it's not you know one day and you've got it kind of thing like you know you gotta like balance personalities and get the right like flavor of story and uh and do the right amount of prep but leave enough space for improvisation and for your players to you know go totally wandering off in a different direction <laughs> like all of that stuff right it's uh yeah it's it's a fun it's a really fun thing to learn i think and unlike most other things that you do in your life where there's like one right way of doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's one of the things that i've noticed running this campaign is there's been a few times now where I've had like a set piece or like the last session that I ran, which was uh, two weeks ago, I started off because the characters had all just finally managed to sneak into a city that they've, they spent a bunch of time in, but it's now basically been taken over. Like there was a big magical event and some bad guys took over and it was very sudden. And I started off the previous session, the last session with a, like I'd written up a a thing that was just describing the state of the, the city and, and, you know, what they see. And I had put in a couple of things where I read out a couple of paragraphs and then it'd be like, okay, you guys are trying to sneak through the city. I need you all to make rolls. And they'd all roll. And then based on how they rolled, I'd have like, it was kind of like a choose your own adventure thing. Like if they all roll well enough, read this stuff. If they don't roll well enough, read this stuff. And there was just like 
three or four branches depending on how things went and but they did well enough that I was able to like I basically just spent like five, 10 minutes just reading this thing out. And they told me afterwards that like, wow, that was really cool. Like you did a great job, but I found so far that getting feedback has been like, it's always very short and succinct. Like they're just like, yeah, that was great. I liked it. It's like, but tell me more. I want to know what you liked and why you liked it so that I can do better later. And it just, sometimes it feels like getting feedback in the middle of a campaign is like the player's, maybe feel like they don't want to hurt my feelings because they're worried that I'll just be like, well, I don't want to DM anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think it's like, I think it's partially that. And it's also, it could be that they're kind of like, well, you've got a direction and you have a story and I don't want to disrupt that by like saying, oh yeah, actually this, this aspect isn't working for me or, oh yeah, I really like that. Do more of that. You know, where it's like, I don't, I don't want to, don't want to tread on any toes kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I get that, but I like if everybody, t- like the thing is, is that the feedback I get is just like, yeah, that was a fun session. That was great. We really liked what yeah. happened. And when I try to ask them details, like if I've got five players, if three of them tell me individually, we'd rather be going after this thing and like trying to do more stuff like this, then I'd probably go in that direction because three of them have individually told me they'd rather be doing this thing. And mm-hmm. part of me is just like, I need feedback and I want it not just for validation, although that is very nice, <laughs> but because it'll help me run the campaign better. And sometimes it just feels like I'm pulling teeth trying to get feedback in the middle of a campaign. So I was just curious how it compared to like end of campaign feedback. Yeah. I want to, I want to just say same same to all of what you just said like hard same yeah (laughs) like because it's it's tough right and i know have like being a player as well it's like i want to be able to give valuable feedback to my dm whoever that may be you know and and i i've been really enjoying uh recording zero d20 fracturia as well like that's been awesome and one of the the great things we did a, a dungeon crawl in that which was the first time that we'd done it and so the dm Jarrett, for that he was like okay i really want good feedback let me know what worked what didn't because it's the first time i've done something like that and in that like that was such a specific situation that it made it a lot easier to be like oh okay sure like here's a list of like you know three things that really worked for me and like a couple of things that didn't and i think maybe it's like about having it at an appropriate point like once you're done kind of a mini arc or like a session that was particularly you know uh nicely neatly kind of wrapped up to be able to say okay let me know specifically but you know your players also have to be open to that and and have specific feedback rather than just you know the yeah it was good (laughs) yeah and like the other thing is some i think a lot of people actually are very uncomfortable giving feedback to a friend yeah like you know i'm friends with all of my players away from the table too so you know i you know i i think i've been doing a good job that's that's kind of the general impression that i'm getting but they might not be as comfortable being like oh hey you did this thing that made me uncomfortable you know because you know i'm their friend they don't want to like hurt my feelings it was like one thing and it was like not something huge or whatever it's it's kind of easier sometimes to like let it slide if it's not a thing that keeps happening yeah and then you get people from the other side who are like it keeps happening and people are getting like building kind of frustration about it but then they don't want to talk to you because they might they might be worried that they like overblow yeah how frustrating it is because it's been happening for a while it's it's a whole thing feedback is is really difficult to do especially since you never know if somebody is actually really bad at receiving yeah well and and the other thing not to stereotype at all but well apart from me we're all canadians and there there is a certain stereotype about canadians that very polite you know don't don't want to tread on toes don't want to hurt people's feelings and you know i i you know i joke but i think for the most part that is true and and i totally agree with you jesse like when some when you're dealing with a friend DMing, it's it is tough to to say those those trickier things or but I, I also think it doesn't have to be. And especially if your DM is asking really like genuinely and openly, just saying, you know, hey, I really wanna know what you think about this. I really want to know whether it worked for you and if it didn't, because I, like, I want to make this a better game for you. And that kind of like clarity of being able to constructively say, okay, yeah, I really liked, you know, running through this bad swamp and murdering a bunch of demons, but 
it didn't really work for me when we had that really long conversation with the wizard who was trying to steal a piece of corn. There's my new campaign, guys. Just uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> wizard stealing corn for some sort of evil arcane retreat. Absolutely. A corn yeah. golem. Yeah. But, but, but even well, saying that... <laughs> But even saying that, like, it's tough, right? Because saying something like that, it's saying, yeah, this part of your game that you created from scratch, from your own brain, that didn't work for me. And I, I totally get that. It's just that, like, part of it is that I don't, I'd rather not finish this two-year campaign, which has probably got quite a few months left in it, unless I really speed things up. Like, <laughs> yeah, you guys have a fight, and then you go here, and you fight this guy, and it's over. Cool. Awesome. Done. Um <laughs> But I don't want to find out at the end of the campaign that there were story beats or moments or set pieces or like anything that the players were just like, yeah, that was boring. Like it would have been nice if you could have shortened that up or like I really didn't like that because it felt like my character was always put in a bad situation or it felt like you always had the spotlight on this other character because of just where we were and what the situation was like. I I understand why people would wait until the end it's just i'd rather hear it when it's happening so i can course correct because yeah because at the end of the day i'm trying to you know run a game that's fun for everybody that everybody is having the same general amount of fun you know everybody's at an 80 it doesn't work for me if somebody's at you know 110 percent on their fun meter and everybody else is at 50 or yeah no that's not doesn't make for a good game or one person's down at 20 like i want everybody to be having fun and i need feedback to do that it's just hard to get it yeah and i i had a similar or a similar situation to that where i think it was towards the end of the last campaign that one of my players was like hey yo you keep picking on me and it was like oh my god i had no idea that i was doing that because like you know their character was like a really strong character and they were sort of the mouthy kind of head of the pack character so it was like oh yeah okay so you're you're the the tank like so you're going to get hit more but it, it you know it meant that then they felt like they were kind of getting picked on and that was never like you know you never want to feel like that as a dm that you're picking on your characters or your players right so that i mean and that was something that i think like if we'd had more regular feedback kind of coming in it wouldn't have got to a point of feeling picked on it would have just been like hey could you maybe not like direct all your hits at me (laughs) yeah it's hard right Uh, actually especially with tanky characters like because that's kind of what they're there for yeah (laughs) Uh, especially if you've got squishy party members, right? Like they're usually trying to intercede and stuff like that. So it can be difficult to like balance that with like what's realistic and like mechanically what's kind of works with a tank character and, you know, not always going after player B because yeah, they're the one that's hardest to hit. Yeah, and But at the same time, like, you know, they were totally right. I had been directing most of my hits at them and it was like, Oh, like shit, I'm really sorry that, that was totally not my intention. Um, but you, especially because it was my first campaign and I was still learning and, you know, trying to manage eight different monsters in one fight is kind of overwhelming, especially when you're trying to keep track of them, what your players are doing, how they're reacting and all of that stuff. So, you know, the learning yeah. curve is, is real and it means like, ultimately it does mean you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fuck up and your players aren't going to always have the most amount of fun. But I think feedback is vital for that. Like we need to brainstorm some ways that we can get some good feedback out of our players. I think. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. But but first I just want to say something to Sean. So Sean, your kind of question about like, you know, you don't want to get the end of this, like probably almost three year campaign and find out that someone's not enjoying it or like a lot of people aren't enjoying it. And like, you can usually tell if people are overall not enjoying aspects of it over and over again. Either uh, I mean, it might be harder over um, over the internet now that you're not running all in one pl- or like at the table, but like you can usually tell if your party is bored. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's usually super easy. <laughs> I think, like, like part of my problem is that I've got. Uh, two of my players who are both playing kind of tanky characters. So they're usually in the middle of battles getting hit a lot, but it's fine because one's a barbarian and one's a half barbarian. So they can tank a lot of damage, which is sometimes really annoying. (laughs) But what's nice is that like they're, they're fairly like straightforward about what they like, what they're enjoying about the campaign. They tend to be a little bit more like bombastic. My main problem are the other three players because they tend to be, 
quieter in game and after after the game like they're the ones that i usually just get a like yeah that was that was fun i like that i enjoyed that that was pretty neat or like oh yeah that was pretty scary when that happened and that was that was really neat i enjoyed it and one of the three does tend to be a little bit more involved in like the like the role playing it's just like the other two one of them doesn't do a ton of role playing but i can i can tell that he's enjoying himself it's but the other one is like she's also she's tends to be pretty quiet and when she does role play like i can tell she's enjoying it it's just they're the ones that are like those three are the hardest to gauge as to whether or not they're they're really enjoying themselves and they're the ones that i'm kind of more worried now that we're doing we're playing online like i'm worried that they're the ones that are going to feel more left out because the thing that i found uh with with playing online we've done two sessions now on roll 20 and it's actually better when everybody is on roll 20 and you don't have a couple of people in person and a couple of people you know on a monitor basically yeah i can see that oh for sure is is that it's easier to make sure that you're paying attention to everybody because everybody's online but i am worried that because it's a little bit easier to lose track of somebody because they're just like on roll 20, they're just an avatar on the screen that when it comes to like outside of combat, like I've got a script in roll 20 that keeps track of like roll 20 will keep track of initiative. And I've got a script that'll highlight the current token that should be taking its turn and all that. So it's fairly easy in combat to keep track of everything and what's going on. What I'm really worried about now is now that I can't see the people's faces and I can't see if, you know, if I'm having a conversation with one character because it's a, we're into a little bit of a role play section. I'm worried that because I can't see their faces, I'm not going to be able to tell if they're, if they're bored, if they're really into what's going on, if, if they want to say something or if they've got an idea. And for the most part, they've been pretty good about speaking up so far on roll 20. It's just, I am worried that I'm going to have a session where afterwards, like two of my players are going to come to me and be like, yeah, that was kind of boring. We didn't get to do very much. Yeah. And I'm just like, eh. yeah. And that's, that's a good point. Like some, uh, it's very different being in person than just having that, that interface online. Yeah. That's a really tricky one. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like you have spectator players, right? They're, they're players that will, they take part and they do their stuff, but they mostly like kind of watching the story unfold and like, I think it's actually a best case scenario if at the end of a session they were like, oh, that's kind of boring because you're you're getting that feedback you want, right? It, it sucks to hear that, but it, it's helpful if it's right then. I'm not sure what to, to say about those like specific kind of players. It, they often enjoy themselves the most when you kind of engage them but don't push them for that. Yeah. We we had or my old group had a player that was very much like that. Like they were there and they were enjoying the story and they would try and get involved at certain spots where they wanted to, but otherwise would kind of just watch everything happen. And that was how that's when they were happiest playing for the most part. But yeah, you know, it, it might just be a matter of like, you know, every other session or once a month or every four sessions or whatever, like sending out an email and be like, Hey, yeah, how's every, how's everyone doing? Is everybody having a good time? You know, please be honest if you're not like, cause it's, uh, yeah, otherwise you're end up, you're going to end up worrying probably too much about it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like, cause if you don't have that feedback, then well, I don't know about YouTube, but I certainly start then worrying that people aren't saying something because they're not having a great time. You know, you're not getting the positive feedback, but you're also not getting the negative feedback. So it's like, oh no, is everyone having a terrible time and no one's telling me? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a thing for me. <laughs> but I mean, welcome to like my life. Most yeah, of that's the time. that's just called anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, like Sean, I, I feel like if you're particularly worried about it, you should just be asking all of your players on a regular basis outside of the session, like whether it's through an email, individual emails or an email chain or, or whatever, you know, just ask if they're having a good time or if there's things they'd like to see coming up or something like that. Like try and engage them in a way that's not just like, are you having a bad time <laughs> or are you having a good time? Like try and get them to interact like interact with the game away from the game, if that makes sense. I was going to say, Jesse, like, as we just mentioned brainstorming a little while ago, like, I like that idea of, of having either like an email or maybe even like a, like a Google poll or something like that, where like a little survey, you know, how, how is the game for you on a scale out of one to five, you know, what list two things that are really working for you from the past two sessions, like list two things that really, 
like you didn't like as much, something like that, where it's kind of really clearly laid out and like easy to read like that could be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little worried that with, uh, with a D and D group, like sending out a poll like that, especially like you'd have to make sure that they can't see the results because if they mm-hmm. can see the results, then they're going to be like, Oh, everybody else is really liking the game. I, yeah. I can't say that I don't like it. Yeah, I definitely want to keep it anon- like not anonymous, but their answers private to me. And for me, like I'd like to know who's feeling what. Like I wouldn't want it to be completely anonymous because I think it's really important to know who's like who's having a good time and what's not working for specific people because you can't change it if you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe individual emails, but that all have more or less the same content. Also, so like if they turn and ask one of the other players, oh, I got this email from Sean. Did you get it too? Yeah. You know, the, and they know, yeah, everyone's getting that. Sean's checking in and he's, he's seeing how like if everyone's having a good time. I want to say just quickly, because I think we're, oh, we're getting to an hour yeah yeah <laughs> one of the best games i've played in was with ray blackmore who's who's been on a couple of times and who's great and who's one of my best friends he asked very early on what everybody wanted to see in the game and he made a concerted effort no matter how ridiculous the <laughs> request was uh to try and fold those things into the plot or into the background radiation of the game somehow um, and it, I think it must have taken a lot of work and a lot of thought on his part, but he did it and he did it really well. Uh, and like, I will always remember the fact that our grumpy, grumpy, grumpy fucking ranger ended up getting a unicorn <laughs> what? Because, because he asked for a unicorn and Ray made a whole story arc about it. And it worked so well because it was something that at least one player at the table was really invested in. And like, it was kind of infectious. Like he was enjoying himself so much and this thing so much that the rest of the party got really wrapped up in it. And yeah, and I think that's something that works so well over time. Like that's what I I struggled with with my last campaign was that like each one of my characters had my player characters like they had these amazing backstories and I really wanted to dig into them, but it was like there just wasn't time for for carrying through the story that I had planned. It was like okay, great, I'll do an arc on each of your backgrounds at some point, <laughs> but when? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and like, kind of, that's kind of the thing. Like, I couldn't do that for the game I've been running for you guys because we don't play often enough. Yeah. Uh, that, like, we can keep that kind of narrative thread unless we were like recording it or making a podcast out of it or something like that. That, you know, there's a disconnect because, you know, we don't play for two months sometimes mm-hmm. and that's fine. But it, like, it makes that specific thing hard. But if you're doing it week to week, you can. You can kind of take the time to like, you know, maybe it's not a huge deal for every character, but you can like work it into the background or kind of knead it into the plot or the setting a little bit. Yeah. So like asking your players to be engaged in what they want to see come up could be really helpful. I think especially once you're into the plot and like there are plot hooks that maybe you guys have abandoned that someone's like, oh, but that the corn wizard, (laughs) what? What is happening with the corn wizard? <laughs> Tell like, me more. <laughs> yeah, like engaging with your players about that stuff, maybe instead of just asking, oh, are you having a good time or not, can be useful because they'll they'll tell you more from that. Like, because they'll be like, oh, yeah, I really want to like go and role play with these people. And you were like, I didn't even know you want you were that interested in role playing. Yeah. You seem to mostly just be here for the combat. Like uh, trying to ask questions that are, that can gauge the enjoyment without actually just asking point blank about it, I think can be really useful. Yeah. So uh, I think one quick question and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Have either of you guys had any issues going from, from, because it sounds like both of you have like DM'd and then played in a game and then DM'd and like you've gone back and forth at least once or twice. Have you guys had any issues going from being a DM to being a PC? <laughs> so, I mean, well, it's tricky the first time, I think, like especially if you've been DMing primarily and then you're a player character for somebody else. It's like, oh, let me just backseat DM for a second here. These are the rules and this is how that we did them. And oh, wait, nope. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was terrible. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. You you play it the way you want to play it. <laughs> it's it's difficult, right? Because like uh, once you've DM'd for a while, and I think long enough to start having like opinions on like how you DM and why you DM that way, and like why you think you know people in general should maybe you know be a bit looser with the rules, for example. And then you play in a game where somebody isn't. 
I like I find that personally really difficult if I'm like because like uh, for example I do not give a shit about carrying capacity yes yeah. <laughs> don't care um, like unless it's ridiculous like if you're like I carry this statue and I'm like maybe not because that statue <laughs> is the size of you and made out of granite um, but like uh, uh, you know I've played in games where people are very much like I want to like keep track of all the stuff you're carrying and I want to do this and that and like the thing is for that DM and that group that might work fine but like if it's a thing like that that I don't care about, it ends up becoming like a big roadblock for me as a player. And I, I mean, I think that kind of brings it back full circle to what we were talking about uh, near the beginning here is about like reading the room and knowing your players and, and knowing what works and what doesn't. And ultimately, like if a DM wants to do a campaign that doesn't work for you, being able to say, that's awesome, I'll jump back in on the next round of, of, of sessions or whatever it is, you know, that you don't have to continue playing if it's not something that you're super excited about. Yeah, exactly. Like if you disagree with the way someone's DMing and you're not having a good time at the table, you should probably just step away from the game. It's, you know, on the other hand, like if it's like small things that don't really matter, that that's when you just need to kind of take a step back and be like, Hey, you know what? There's, that's just their style of doing it. Mm-hmm. doesn't actually matter it's like you know they want you to use material components for spells when you usually ignore them just you can do the thing you'll be fine yeah like <laughs> for example one of the things that i do in my game is when somebody rolls when somebody gets a critical hit in combat the way that i do the damage is they like whatever their weapon damage is like say it's like 2d6 plus 2 what they do is they get like they get that max uh, damage, so like uh, so in that case it would be fourteen, and they roll two d six. Yeah, I do. I do the same thing actually. So the critical hit is like it feels really impactful. It feels like oh my god, I got a critical hit. That's amazing. Yeah, but it's it not also... like I rolled a crit and I got five. <laughs> yeah. So so for my players, like they know that like oh if we can get a critical hit, like that can really turn the tide of battle and. I do something kind of similar for the for the monsters. Uh, I do fudge things a little bit because I don't want to always be like if I get a critical hit, especially with, you know, some monsters that do a stupid amount of damage, like they roll a like a crazy number of dice because they're a, you know, giant creature or something. I'll usually fudge things a little bit because I usually just go with the the average damage listed in the in the monster manual, but it's it's something that I've played in like a few convention games where they just go with the straight D&D rules of I can't even remember what the straight D&D rules are for for critical hits anymore because I've been doing it. Roll twice just the amount twice. of dice. Twi- twice the amount of dice. There you go. So yeah. like when that happens, it's just like when they I'm in a in one of those convention games and I get a critical hit. I'm like, oh, yeah, what? what do critical hits actually mean in D&D? Oh, right. OK, <laughs> I do this thing. And there's little things like that that I think I don't think would bug me too much i'm just i can't think of anything right now outside of just the the story and the people that i'm playing with that would impact me as a dm becoming a pc yeah it's it all depends on like a bunch of stuff right like i'm trying to think of something like really egregious a dm could do that would like make me actually really upset be racist how about that (laughs) yeah well yeah but i feel like that's a thing that would yeah outside of the stuff that just makes somebody a terrible person Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something that would make me upset even if I had never DM'd and was just a player, right? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, a specific thing from a DM standpoint. Like, I guess, like, kind of bullying your players or something like that. Or railroading really hard and not letting your players kind of have that flexibility. That would be something for me. Yeah, that would probably be something where, like, if I was in a situation as a player where I'm like, oh, like, we're in this room and there's this, this, and this, and I want to try and do this using, like, an athletics role or something, and the DM just goes, nope. Like, that's something that would probably just be like, if this happens again, I'm probably going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's it's funny. You you mentioned the railroading thing, Isla, because, like, what I ran for you guys was a module that was very much an A to B thing, and... You guys were really good about being like, yes, we're just going to go along the story path. And it was it was very nice because I was not used to that. <laughs> but it also didn't feel like railroading. Like as players, we knew that there was a story to to get to go through. And that it was I was at least for me, like I was curious about what the story was. So I wasn't interested in like, oh, this character's here. OK, well, I don't know. They might have information, but I'm just going to kill them. You know, yeah. like I, I was more interested in, in finding out what happened than trying to make my own story. I think there was 
one point where I was like, just straight up what you do doesn't work, which I also like immediately was apologizing about as it was happening uh, with uh, uh, Ammo trying to cast that illusion spell when the guy already had the thing he was trying to fake. But like, and if I I recall being very apologetic about it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's the only like specific example I can think of in my game. But like, yeah, like that's, that's a thing that would, start to bother me if it was like i want to do this thing that i have the skills for or whatever and they're just like no you can't do that yeah and i think that that's the thing for me is that like railroading to me is different than having a story to get through like railroading to me is is what what you both said about like nope you just that doesn't work you can't do it nope shut down you know because like stopping your play as creativity in service of your own like plot and devices yeah well i think before this turns into a <clears throat> two-hour episode where we rehash <laughs> where we rehash our episode on railroading i think this is probably a good place to- i mean we could make it two parts long <laughs> <laughs> but that means that i have way more editing to do so i think this is probably that's, that's a good true. place to end it so yeah, we've got another me. interview in 40 minutes so oh wow so yeah, I think this is a good time to say goodbye. Uh, Isla, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you so much for having me. I think it ended up being much more a conversation about getting feedback from your players than our original topic, but I have had a very good time chatting about that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it fits into the original topic, right? Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, it's always great to have you on. Probably have you on again eventually. That sounds awesome <laughs> to me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So where can people find you online if they want to follow you on twitter or instagram or whatever or listen to your podcast you can or that yeah please you can uh find uh the podcast probably the easiest way to find it would be to go to at zero d20 underscore on twitter and you can follow me personally on my super nerd account at isla yvr and that's at a y l a y v r cool yeah all right our art is by the wonderful Haley boros our theme music is overworld by kevin mcleod you can find us on twitter at dms of vancouver you can find me at jesse the red and sean at sean p hagan we've also got a patreon all the money that we get from that goes to making this as awesome as possible we're trying to save up to get some cool gear or maybe go to a convention or something oh yeah I, th- I think podcon is the current goal and uh yeah thanks thanks so much for listening if you like the show please uh give us a rate and review on itunes that's always super handy and please share the show with anyone you think would enjoy it yep thanks bye thanks for listening bye